This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. This one coming to you from Los Angeles, California, where we have just wrapped up the 2022 Major League Baseball draft and the Futures game. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, It has been an incredibly busy almost week here. Second year of the draft and futures game being held uh, nearly simultaneously. And uh, it was another crazy week, guys. Um, Let's start off. Let's dig right into the draft. Oh, I'm Jason Ratliff, and this is Jim Callison. Jonathan, man, we're actually doing this. uh, This rarely happens, I guess, once a year. is Pretty much. Doing it in the same room. Start off with the draft. And let's start off right at the top. Pick number one, not a shock necessarily, but not the guy that uh, that I don't think either of you guys thought was going to go number one, Jackson Holiday. Yeah, I mean, I'm kicking myself. I had, I had an inkling it was going to be Holiday. Since Jones. we're in the same room together, we can tell you that Jim is not actually kicking himself. We can no. kick you if you'd That's like. <laughs> no, I had somebody tell me they thought it might go the other way, but there was, there was no time to do a, re- a redraft. But as we said leading up to this, Jonathan – there were three guys I thought it was going to be Holiday, Jones, and uh, Tremar Johnson. I can't even remember the third guy. We're so tired. And it was just going to be what, you know, I, nobody had any sense which of the three it was going to be. The, the, the crazy thing and discussion for another time was how I, I think we all got bombarded with tweets and emails from people about how DraftKings odds were fluctuating wildly based on people's mock drafts. And Brooks Lee was like a prohibitive favorite at one point. And I never really felt like it was Brooks Lee. But uh, we'd heard, you know, some inkling, I think, Jonathan, that everything equaled. The Orioles would probably prefer an infielder to an outfielder. That didn't, No intel was coming out of Baltimore. But I, I wasn't shocked. It just – we knew it was going to be one of those three guys. And I think you could make a case we, – we both think Drew Jones is the best player. I think you can make the case that Matt Holliday is – a better hitter right now than Drew Jones. Well, Matt Holiday's a little old. Sorry, Jackson Holiday, probably. Oh, yeah. Well, Matt Holiday's probably better hitter. Yeah, Jackson, <laughs> Jackson Holiday. Matt Holiday's a better hitter than I am? Sure. Yeah. That's what you were going to say. But yeah, but Jackson Holiday is a better hitter than Drew Jones, and he's an infielder and a potential 5 tool shortstop, so it's not like they sacrificed talent. I think they saved a little bit of money They when we find out what the bonuses are because Drew, Hall, uh, Drew Holiday. <laughs> I'll get this right. Jackson Holiday probably would have gone third if he didn't go first. If, if the Orioles had gone with Tremar Johnson, Drew Jones was going two, Holiday's floor was three. So Orioles probably saved just a little bit of money by taking Jackson yeah. Holiday's what I was trying to say. Yeah, this, this was not one of these, like, I can't believe they took that guy number one. I mean, it wasn't even, you know, like Carlos Correa, which, you know, uh, obviously in retrospect looked very good. But, we, you know, we also found out that the Astros really loved Carlos Correa. It wasn't a huge reach. I'm just using that as an example of a – that was a slightly, like, Oh, that was a, a bit of a surprise. This wasn't a surprise, you know. You know, I stuck with Jones without any I- intel that that was what they were going to do. Uh, clearly, would have been bad intel anyway. But it was more like they should take the uh, the, 
the who we thought was the best player. But I don't think there was that much separating the two of them. And given the fact that Holiday is a left-handed hitting shortstop who could play there, and he does, he has all the tools, all those things, um, combined with it would cost a little bit less. I think, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense for the Orioles, and, and they were able to, you know, because their bonus pool is so large, they they were able to be a little aggressive later on. And it, it really wasn't too much different than last year when we knew who the Pirates were looking at three or four different guys, and we really didn't know until right before the mm-hmm. draft began. We, we we found out a couple minutes before, as opposed to finding out this year when the Orioles made the pick. But last year we didn't know it was Henry Davis until, and we, we both thought. We we did the same thing last year. We we I think we both had Marcelo Meyer, who was the top ranked player in our rankings, going one one, and the Pirates went in a slightly different direction. But we knew they had been looking at Henry Davis, and I don't think either of us had a high degree of confidence that we would nailed Marcelo Meyer that that was the guy. We we just had to make Correct. informed speculation. Yep. So, all right. So speaking of high degrees of confidence, something that you guys said pretty much all along was that the floor on Drew Jones was number two. Yeah. We, yeah, we got we got that one right. Do we get some credit for that? Uh, you know, I think all along the the Diamondbacks actually felt like they were in a really good position because they could just react off of what the Orioles did. And if Jones, you know, I think if Jones went one, Holiday would have gone two. Although I don't know that for certain. Um, I'll, I'll say that was certain. Okay, I mean that that yeah. I mean, I I, I only say that because I never circled back. Yeah. But we all knew that if anybody but Drew Jones went one. The Diamondbacks would love to take Drew Jones too, and I even said that when we were baking in the sun on the rooftop uh, across the draft stage, across from the draft stage, uh, that there were people in the in the Diamondbacks draft room doing cartwheels when they you know when they found out because they didn't find out until the very last minute uh, because the Orioles keep things so close to the best. Uh, so you know. Drew Jones is such a talented player, and I think the Diamondbacks showed last year that they're going to take who they think is the best player, period. They got Jordan Lawler, who you know, we thought would have been gone by the time they picked. In this case, they didn't have to wait long to take the best player in getting Jones. And then conversely, on the, on the flip side here, with Jones going no lower than two being like the lock for you guys all along, the next pick, the biggest surprise of the draft and one of the biggest you guys have seen in years. Yeah, well, it's funny because our, our producer, Alex Overington, last week before we started recording, you were either finding a place to podcast from in the office, whatever, so we were waiting for you for a minute. And he said something about Kumar Rocker going to the top five. I'm like, nah, there's no shot. Like, <laughs> like he's the biggest wild card in the draft. But there's too much risk. He's not going to the top five picks. And then uh, so to give Alex credit, Alex is the only prognosticator I know who had Kumar Rocker above. I think the highest mock I saw him in was him going 13th to the Angels. I think the highest we had him in in any of our 32 mocks we did before the draft was 17th to the Phillies. But yeah, I was I was trying to do a little research. Carlos Correa, we didn't know he was going number one. It was a surprise. We thought he was going more six to ten in 2012. Yep. But it but we also knew he probably had the greatest run of pre-draft workouts for teams. So that wasn't a shot. And it was a little surprise when Danny Holson went second overall. But he was a legit top ten pick in 2011. I, I think you have to go back to 2009. When the Orioles took Matt Hobgood with the fifth overall pick, where everybody's like, whoa, what just happened? And the difference, of course, is that Kumar, had he gone third a year ago, nobody would have backed him on. No, no. You know, and and we've talked about the saga. He was the 10th overall pick in the Mets, agreed to a $6 million bonus. They didn't like the results of his post-draft physical. um, Offered him, they had to make him an offer to get the 11th overall pick in this year's compensation. 
They offered him the grand total of $0, which Kumar declined. Um, had shoulder surgery in September that nobody knew about officially, although it had been rumored that he had had shoulder surgery. It didn't really become official knowledge uh, until June. Um, he pitched independent ball this year, um, had some velocity in short stints. There's still, the teams I've talked to think there's still some shoulder and elbow risk with him. But one, I, I don't know how you guys feel. I, I thought he's already agreed to terms, $5.2 million. So kudos to Kumar. I'm glad that he came through this process and got paid. The rules are very one-sided in favor of the teams, you know, unless the player basically consults to a physical with, you know, without, you know, you get some guarantees. Last year it would have been 60% if he'd done an MRI before the draft. This year it would have been 75%. But the Mets came out of last year whole and it was like, Kumar, well, you know, if you're hurt, just go back in the draft next year and take what you can get. So I was actually kind of pleased to see him get paid and we'll get to this in a little bit. I think what the Ra- what the Rangers were doing made more sense when they made their next pick. Yeah, which didn't come for a while. So I, I think that's good. I, I, you know, I, I mean, I I had Matt Hobgood going that high, and I'm only saying that because we can't trace the mock that I wrote, so no one can prove <laughs> me wrong. I did not have him that high, uh, but yes, that was. I don't remember a time in the draft. There's definitely been some surprises in the first round where we, you know, we have to scramble to figure out who a guy is. That's happened a couple of times or you know, really, is that the guy they're taking? Um, but I, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time when this early, that early in a draft where it was just like a, a pure wow moment, uh, which made for fantastic TV too. I mean, it was just a very dramatic draft moment. Plus given how he's one of the more famous prospects in draft history, even yeah. before the saga last year, so it wasn't just you had this big shock of three because we were asked about him. I think when we did that pre-draft segment on MLB Network, if you told me he would have gone forty-fifth, like I, I thought the highest he could possibly go was thirteenth, and if you told me he went in the second round, somebody is an overpay, I would have believed that too. I can, yeah. I mean, I can tell you every week when we were doing the mock, and I think I was the first person to actually include him, and you were the person who had him the highest. But every week, it literally was like. Ugh. I don't know what to do with Kumar Rocker. So even when I slotted him in somewhere, it was kind of, this is just to reflect that he's being talked about more in the first round. But yeah, he, it was all over the map and uh, neither of us saw this coming. I, I don't think anybody did. No, this isn't quite a, this isn't as high of a pick. Um, but the most flabbergasted I remember Jim being in a draft was when I told him that uh, Nick York was the next pick and he, he refused to believe that. <laughs> well, it's like Hayden Simpson was a flabbergasting pick. <laughs> Wait, I think that was maybe the first year we were on MLB Network. Was that 2009? That it was one of the early years. If not the first, it was the second. It was the second. And I, I only know this because... Were we sitting next to each other? We were we... sitting next to each other in 2009. That was Mike Trout, yeah. where I interviewed Mike Trout as the sideline reporter 17 times. times. Before he got picked. <laughs> and it's like, Mike, what did you have for dinner? But yeah, so 2010... I'll, t- I'll tell the story because I still can't believe this. And we, we get the, the picks and a little inside baseball. You know, we, we'll get the picks a little bit before they're announced so we can prepare what we're well, going no, to Well, no, usually say. we don't unless we seek them out. Because no, they want us that we don't. They weren't telling us in our no, ear they ahead want of time have, because they it was want a surprise. Us to have a natural reaction. The only time they tell us in advance is if it's like, hey, we don't have anything on this guy. Does anybody Well, so it? I think they told us an event. We yeah. also weren't on camera at the time. Yes. Anyway. There was panic. Right. Yeah, there was definitely panic because, uh, you know, at the time, Jim was still working at Baseball America. So, like, draft coverage for MLB.com was me. And I'm like, I have n- 
no idea who this guy is. And it's the first round. And it, it could he was s- on our list. Well, and I could s- he was on your Alabama list. No, no. He was on the top 200. He was like about 190th on the oh, list. Oh, see? Or we had him in the hundreds. I, my version of the story is better even so, if it's not right. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It, I, I, it clearly, it was not a, a correct reminiscence. But I just remember you telling me that the only reason you really remembered him is because you did the Alabama list. And he was close to the I think Arkansas. it was Central Arkansas, yeah. Um, and he was near the bottom of the list. He was a knee. He, I think we, I, we'd have to go back. You know, we don't really need to dig into his head. But yes, that one was a very surprising one. And I remember uh, Jim somehow managing, uh, you know, that was the start of the magic of Jim Callis that I realized, like, holy cow, this guy knows everything. Well, I, I did call him a left-hander to my chagrin. But, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, the thing I remember from well, my Maybe he should have been because he never made it to the big leagues. I was to say, I remember from my scouting report is that he lived down the street from his head coach. He was like a local kid. Southern <laughs> Arkansas. Thank you. There we go, Southern yeah. Arkansas. All right, so that's the, those are flabbergasting picks. Um, maybe not flabbergasting, but let's talk about some more interesting picks uh, from day one. Uh, do you want to restrict these to round one? Or are we going to go day one? Let, let's see. Do we, what, what were some of the more interesting picks? Yeah, we, we could stick with the first round. I mean, I, I thought the other guy who was a real wild card and we've talked about him a lot on the podcast, was Kate Horton. And after missing last year with Tommy John surgery and playing two ways and having an ERA of almost eight during the regular season, he had this fabulous postseason run. Oklahoma goes to the, the finals of the College World Series. He's spectacular. The fastball's up to 98. The wipeout slider's up to 90. We made him the highest-ranked college player on our 250, college pitcher, highest-ranked college pitcher on our, our 250, and he was the first college pitcher taken. But it was interesting because I know I'd say about 10 days before the draft, Jonathan, when I did my last mock before the final week, and you did one the final week, then we both did one kind of on draft eve, I was asking people about Horton and Rocker and Prelip. And, and you'd get three different things. For different, like if I talked to one team, would be like, oh, I could take Rocker. I had Prelip's in the middle, but I, I you can't take Horton because there's no track record. Another guy would be like, oh, I'll take Horton based on spectacular he was, but I couldn't take Rocker because of the health and then, or prelips only through two bullpens. So anyway, you get just all this information. So, and then I think when you did your mock, all of a sudden there's this late push, like, Oh, the Rockies are on Horton at 10. The Rockies are on Horton at 10. He might go nine to the Royals. So all of a sudden he was pushing up, but it was yeah. still unclear where he was going to go. And, and the Cubs went and grabbed him at seven. Um, I, I like, I mean, again, there's not a lot of track record to go on. I mean, he was really, really good for five starts in the postseason. But in my mind, he was the best college pitcher. I, I like the pick. I'm not sure of the pick. I mean, the stuff is unbelievable, as we saw. Can you remember a time where a guy got drafted off of such a small sample that high? You know, granted, you know, the first part of the season, he was still just coming yeah. back and getting healthy. And the, so I think people... And the reason we went this high is I think people thought, well, that's who that's who he's going to be once he's you know really got surgery in his in his rearview mirror. But I like, and I'm not even saying it's recency bias, but the fact that, and it's it's kind of also amazing to think that if the draft were to normal the time it always had been, we wouldn't be talking about Kate Horton because it all would have happened after the draft. So that's another wrinkle to to the to his whole story. But it is amazing to me that. He went from a guy who, like, I don't – we weren't talking about at all for obvious reasons to all of a sudden, like, well, he's going to be a top-10 pick, and then he goes seven off of five postseason starts. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the thing that gives you 
if you're if you're you're pro Horton, comfort is he was a dude in high school. He could have been a second yes. round got pick out of high school or top fifty pick out of high school. He's one of the best two way and two sport prospects two years ago in the draft. It was funny because Harold Reynolds, who we do the last stuff with on MLB Network, loved him two years ago. And I was wondering if that was going to come up during the broadcast, and it did. Harold was talking about how much he had loved him two years ago. I think Harold had seen him at PDP, the first PDP league. Did he like him as a pitcher or as a shortstop? Probably both. I, I, did, I, do, I don't remember exactly yeah. which way he liked him. But I, I do think that – and you're, you brought up a great point, Jonathan, because if the draft was, you know, like the first 10 or 12 days of June like it used to be, you would have had his Big 12 tournament start and his regional start, and I don't think that would have moved the needle now. I think people might have said, oh, interesting. Like maybe we can give him second-round money, and I don't think – Kate Horton would have signed for second round money. So he would have gone back. So he's a great example of with the draft. I mean, it's interesting with Kumar Rocker too. Um, he started pitching. I think his first start was May 29th. He pitched three innings. So like Kumar might've gotten two starts in. And I don't know if five starts and 20 innings is better than two starts and seven innings, but it would have been kind of a similar thing. Right. I mean, and obviously there's the injury questions with Kumar, but you had a yeah, lot you, more track yeah, record no, than Kumar Rocker. Yeah. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna ask you guys. You know, how much money did Cade Horton's uh, postseason run get him? Like, you know, if this team doesn't make the postseason, he's uh, what five million dollars? Uh, probably. Uh, I think four. I think he probably goes back to school. Yeah, I, th- I think he just would have gone back because he's a second year eligible player. So you know. He would have had so. more leverage than the typical guy, but like it was interesting because he didn't pitch till March 29th. I, I have Oklahoma; that's that's in my domain, and like everybody was interested in him. And he came out playing third base for Sooners, hitting like 250. And he didn't really pitch for the first six weeks of the season. And I'd ask guys about him, and he was pitching an inning or two here and there. And then they started him, and he got he got crushed in his final regular season start. And guys were just like basically writing him off as, yeah, he's just gonna come back to school. Like there's no way we can pay him anywhere close to like what his upside is. Um, but yeah, it was, it, you're right, Jonathan. I mean, the five career college, you know, or I'm sorry, more than five career college starts, but really hot at the end. All right. Uh, who was another interesting pick for, from day one? We dropped down to the bottom of the first round, I think, because yeah. there were a couple of, um, I think the last two picks were yeah. ones that kind of, well, let, of, let's do this real quick. Let's fill in since we haven't even talked, you know, we haven't even talked about the other guys. We, we went one, two, three, we talked about them when we skipped down to seven, Important. Number four was Tremar Johnson to the Pirates, uh, middle uh, infielder out of Mays High School in Georgia. Number five, Elijah Green to the Nationals out of IMG Academy. Jacob Berry out of LSU goes to the Marlins at number six. So that that fills in the top seven. And now let's go ahead and skip down. Yeah. So I'm going to go to the, the very bottom uh, of the first round and the, and the Giants, who picked at 30. And then I don't. Did they not have a second round pick? Or are they? They don't have a ton of picks anyway. So, but the thing that I know both of us had kept hearing, uh, and we talked to a lot of the same people, was just, you know, I think every mock we put in either like a high upside high school arm or maybe one of the, the guys who had Tommy John surgery. It was, you know, the Giants were willing to take a risk with this pick. And, and maybe it would be, you know, a, a guy who had surgery because they could save some, some money because their pool wasn't so big. I can tell you with on 100% certainty, the name Reggie Crawford never came up. I never heard his name um, at all. I mean, coming into the season, sure. Or I should say, last summer we would say, "Oh yeah, he could be." Yeah, a so, pick, but I never heard his name either. So Reggie Crawford, in my area, he was at UConn, 
And he is fascinating, right? He's six foot four. He's left-handed. He was a two-way player. And more on that in just a minute. But, you know, he when he first got to, to UConn, he had 13 homers. And he threw like seven and two-thirds innings. Then pitching for USA Baseball, he started touching 100 miles an hour. And everyone was really excited to see more of him on the mound. You know, six four left, you can throw that hard. I mean, why not? Super, you know, very, very athletic. And then he blew out in the fall and needed Tommy John surgery, which was a big theme of this draft. So he missed all of 2022. So basically what was known is that he could throw hard, he's big and strong, and he's left-handed. You know, he's got the, that fastball with Team USA, and then he was in the Cape for a bit. And, it, you know, he was up in the upper 90s regularly. And he hadn't thrown much more, but over the summer, he actually started showing off a slider that flashed plus. He actually could throw it for strikes, so it was pretty exciting. But there was, like, no track record on this guy whatsoever. Um, you, you talk about Kate Hort not having track record. This guy's thrown, like, between UConn and over the summer. We're, we're talking 11, 12 innings of, of baseball, at, you know, at the college level. Now, I think... What's sort of interesting is that he was announced as a two-way player. I'm guessing that that is just a, hey, while you're rehabbing your elbow, you can DH in some complex games or you know, wherever he's at in terms of how his elbow is. Let him swing the bat, or maybe he starts out next year a little bit swinging the bat just because he likes to hit. Um, but I have to think that his future is on the mound. But that one was a, a very surprising and fascinating pick for me. Yeah, well, I'm going to go one pick earlier, 29th to the Rays, who obviously do a great job of scouting player development. They have conviction. They like their guys. I cannot remember, and I did not try to research this, the last time we had a player ranked outside of our top 100 who went in the first round. We had Xavier Isaac, high school first baseman from North Carolina, uh, ranked 113. I think we actually had him higher than most other media lists. And he was an interesting guy because he has some of the best power in the high school crop. Some would argue he might have the best power in high school. They put him up there with Elijah Green in terms of raw power. But he was hard to scout. He had a foot injury last year, so he didn't really play on the showcase circuit. He missed his whole junior season of high school. And you're talking high school first baseman, which is probably the least desired demographic. I mean, you really have to hit to get drafted as a high school first base. More often than not, they're going to let you go to school and prove you can hit and then draft you two or three years later whenever you're eligible. But uh, I just thought it was kind of like a typical uh, raise move where they like who they like. They're really good at developing pitchers and hitters. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know what the, you know, I don't know if this is a blow slot deal. I haven't tried to figure out how their bonus pool works, but interesting that they made that move. And my suspicion is they felt like he wasn't going to be there with their next pick. And that was part of it, too. So it was it was kind of interesting to see such a bold move. I'd be very curious. And maybe we'll do the research at some point who the last guy ranked outside our top 100 to go in the first round was. Do you, you should know. We've said his name. Oh, was it conference. Nick York? It was. Okay. Yeah, although we probably had him underranked. I mean, that was more my fault, I think. The scouts, it was another guy who had well, been hurt and hadn't been don't, seen. Don't beat yourself up either, though, because that was a pandemic year. I think... We heard that there was buzz, right? quote unquote, he was moving up, but we didn't know what does that mean. He was a second baseman who 
couldn't play the field during yeah. that year before the shutdown. So okay, and, thank you. Yeah. I feel better. Yeah, no, that was one. It was like, the, the, but but good call, good call to, to to figure that one out. I, Nick York one, I've totally forgotten. But yes, um, real quick, talking about Reggie Crawford uh, being announced as a two-way player. There were four players taken that were announced as four as kind of four-way players. Uh, four-way wow. <laughs> switch hitter, switch pitcher. We did have a switch pitcher, Anthony C. Uh, anyway, two-way players. The others being, do, do you know? I know Jack Brannigan was one yep. of them because he went early on day two. Third round of the Pirates. And I explained he's Notre Dame, third baseman slash right-hand pitcher. Didn't pitch a lot this year, but he's up to 98 with pretty good secondary pitches. Wants to hit. Probably more of a fifth or sixth round pick as a hitter, as a third baseman. And I think that was, who took Jack? It was the Pirates take, took Brannigan? Correct. Yeah, because I remember saying, oh, they're letting Bubba Chandler yeah. do both. Yeah. So maybe but, they'll let him do both. The thinking was from talking to scouts that you were probably going to have to offer Brannigan the opportunity to play every day before he pitched. And he didn't pitch a whole lot this year. There's some who thought that his elbow might have been hurt. He got hurt warming up for a game at Miami and then never pitched again. So yeah, I think he'll be a pitcher long term. But but that was interesting. Who else do you got for us? This is uh, this Austin is what the Charles. Pirates. Austin Charles uh, went the twentieth round yeah. to the Royals. I think he goes on to school. Uh, That's my uh, guess. But two way player out of Stockdale High School. Another High School another one. He's he's really interesting because he's six foot six, but he's played shortstop in center field, and he wants to hit. Uh, but the pitching took a step forward, so that'd be interesting to see. Even if he goes on to college, if he's a two way player. The other one, the, the only one who is not ranked in our top two fifty. Uh, was Dylan Phillips out of Kansas State. Um, Senior, it looks like. Yeah, in the eighth round to the Angels. I want to say, I think he holds Kansas State's home run record, if I remember correctly. So say it. Well, I, I, I don't have my notes in front of me. So. Well, he's not going to say it. I, I, had, I had him as a I, – I had him – like I, I chuckle, but the Angels always draft a two-way player. So I don't know if they're just like, Dylan, we're taking the eighth round, here's the terms, and you have to be a two-way guy because we have to have one. I think the power is the tool that stands out the most with him. Okay, so those are some interesting picks from day one. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the interesting picks from day two, as well as some players that these guys think will be quickest to the big leagues. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo from my hotel room in Los Angeles, California, where uh, we've been here for the MLB draft and the Futures game. And, and the high school all American game. And the high school and all American run derby. Yeah, you know, there there was more, but we're uh, we're kind of we're focusing on the two biggies, the draft and the futures game. We're gonna get to the futures game in a bit, but still plenty more draft to talk about. We could certainly do this entire podcast and probably several more on the draft alone. Let's talk about uh, some of the most interesting picks on day two, which uh included day two included rounds uh three through ten. And we talked about uh, Kumar Rocker being one of the most surprising picks in many, many years of the draft. And he went number three overall. And let's talk a little bit about why that was and what the how that fits into the larger uh, strategy and philosophy of the Rangers there. And uh, an, an interesting pick that was kind of packaged with that. Yeah, I mean, I think not only was that a surprising pick, so after we got over the shock, then, of course, the, the wheels start turning and you start trying to think, all right, well, what are they What are they doing here? Because they didn't pick again until pick 109 in the fourth round. So there was a limit to how creative they could be. Um, and I think once, I would say once we got past, what, midway point of the first round, when did you first start thinking Brock Porter and the Rangers? I think, like, after we got through the first round, I figured, okay, somebody's pushed him to their sandwich pit, which, which, which that seemed plausible. Like, and then the, the, here's the reason the strategy, the reason you could do this with Brock Porter is Brock Porter, like Kumar Rocker and the top two players in this draft is advised by the Boris Corporation. It was funny. I had this conversation with some agents staying in our hotel who don't work for Boris Corp even before the draft happened. And we were saying that, you know, the agents will always be like, hey, my guy will go to college. My guy will go to college. You don't pay us, he'll go to college. And because Scott over the years has had a number of guys go to college, um, JT Ginn's a recent example. Um, I wasn't so tired. I could come up with a couple more off the top of my head. But anyway, Scott's, Scott has had a number of his clients out of high school have gone to college. And, and a lot of them have been, you know, Kumar Rocker would have been a first-round pick out of high school potentially, and he wound up going to Vanderbilt. But because when Scott, I think when Boris Court makes that threat, people believe it. So I, not, I'm not stumping for Scott here, but I think if it had been any other agent telling you, hey, Brock Porter wants X, better not take him, he might have been taken before pick 109. That's the thing. I think that is the craziest. So obviously we're sort of worked backwards here. Yeah. Brock Porter was the guy who the, 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 the Rangers took and you know, was our highest ranked healthy pitcher, uh, you know, May have been one of the best pitchers in in the draft, highest ranked pitcher period, right? Yes, yes, right, right. I think had Dylan Lesko not gotten hurt, maybe Lesko would have been ahead of him. But Porter, you know, was moving up on his own accord while others were moving down. Yes. A really talented high school pitcher whose name we had heard as high as the top ten. And so as it started, you know, unfolding, it's not that uncommon for a high school right-hander to slide down. The boards, even one that we think is going that high. Um, but as time went on, I think that's right, Jim. It was like late first round, then comp round. No one's taken him. Then that's when uh, I think, you know, Jim, you mentioned that, when, you know, we're like, oh, well, that's when he's probably going to go. And I think that does, that lends the question like, it's amazing that someone didn't just say, I'm taking him, the Orioles. 
right? They have that huge bonus pool. The Rays have all those extra picks, so they have some flexibility. And, you know, and they also took a Boris client in the first round in Xavier Isaac. So it could have gone like that. You know, there have been plenty of times in other instances where a guy starts sliding where they're trying to push him down somewhere and another team says, I don't care. I, I like that guy. I'm going to take him. But to Jim's point, I think the 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 threat was not idle. You know, we, there's track record here that those guys will go to college sometimes. So uh, I'm still somewhat surprised. Someone just didn't say, I'm going to try anyway. But it worked out well for the, for the Rangers where they not only got Kumar Rocker, but they got arguably the best pitcher in, in the draft class in the fourth round. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really bold strategy by the Rangers, knowing that you weren't going to pick for a while. To get, you know, you mentioned Nick York. I mean, the Red Sox did this on a much lower scale where they didn't have a second round pick that year. They lost it for sign stealing. And they loved Nick York, but they were able to get him well below market value in the first round because he wasn't projected that high. And then saved a bunch of money and paid Blaze Jordan in the third round. But, you know, what's interesting is so if you look at those two slots together, the first slot, number three overall picks about seven and a half million. Rockers could sign for 5.2, so you saved 2.3. The slot in the third round where they took, Brock Porter is about 600000 I don't think he's going to sign for $2.9 million. Um, you know, the, the Rangers' total pool is $10 million. I mean, it's, it's 9.6. You can get a little over 10 if you go over 5%, which is the maximum you can go over without giving up future picks. So I'll be curious to see, you know, I mean, Rocker and Porter are obviously going to get the majority of the pool. But, you know, I mean, I was perplexed when they took Kumar because, like you were saying, Jonathan, you can save money and dream of spending it later, since you don't pick to 109, like most of the good players who are going to be signable are gone by then. So really, really interesting draft maneuvering by the Rangers there. Yeah, because I know very early on, Jim, uh, when they had taken Rocker and I asked you, is the play here that they're now going to have money to spend on premium high schoolers since they don't pick until the fourth round. And, and at that point, this was, I think still in the first round. It was you, probably right. I think right after they took Rocker. We yeah. And, and you said you didn't think they were going to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. To push a guy down that far yeah. is really tough. But like, again, I mean, I'm not trying to advertise for Boris Corporation, but like when the Boris Corp guys threaten, they're going to go to school. Matt McLean's another one. Or to Japan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how that worked out for Carter Stewart, but yeah, it's like you have to kind of take the threat seriously. So that, Helped Brock Porter in this case. Okay, uh, another interesting pick from day two. One thing I noticed, Jonathan, and like not that the draft went according to chalk because it certainly didn't all go according to chalk, but usually on day th- on day two, days running together, on day two in the third round, we have an immediate flurry of like, okay, here's guys who are getting paid well over slot, you know, mm-hmm. seven figure bonuses. And this year we just didn't have that. There there weren't that many guys I looked at in the third round and go, oh, well, that guy's going to be an overpay, and I think. I think the highest-ranked player who got drafted in the third round, highest-ranked on our, our MLB Pipeline 250, I think was Jonathan Cannon, who we ranked 60th, and he went – the White Sox picked toward the end of the third round. Um, I don't think there's anybody higher than him drafted, which is weird. Like, I, I don't know if everybody just spent all their money on day one, but, like, there weren't that many bold plays, really. Um, you know, and that's a good value for the White Sox, and, and he it, – it's – he fits a need for the White Sox too. Jonathan Cannon is a University of Georgia right-hander who I would describe as having, you know, average to solid stuff and it's it's plus control and solid command. You know, he's he's not, you know, a crafty right-hander, 
But you know, he, he's a, he's a polished college right-hander. She moved quickly, and the White Sox organization. I want to say, Jonathan, we ranked him as the 30th best farm system before the season. They don't have a lot of upper level talent. You know, most of that talent has already gone to Chicago, which is why they made the playoffs the last couple of years. They had, used to be one of our top ranked systems. But Cannon really fills a need as a polished college pitcher who should be able to move through their system quickly and potentially, you know, be in the big leagues by 2024. 30th best is a very nice way to put that. <laughs> so, Do you know what's crazy? There were two high school players taken in the third round. I hadn't noticed that. See, <laughs> that goes to what we're saying. Like everybody just drafted. I was just, I was, I was curious because you were, you were saying that Carson Milbrandt, who went to the Marlins, and uh, Christopher Pasciola, the California infielder, who went to the Cubs. They went back to back picks. Now those guys might be, you know, slightly overslot. Like I don't know what their their asks were. Uh, typically, when a high school guy goes yeah. on day two, it's not going to be for 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 the slot necessarily. Oh, I'm sorry, Dylan O'Ray three. We continue to be flummoxed uh, by Dylan. O'Ray. Yes, and that was uh, that was uh, <laughs> you know an off the board uh, pick for for me, and I scrambled to get some information on Brewers. Took him closer to the end of the third round, and everybody else was a college player, which is that's rare. Yeah, like I said, it was weird because usually you're like, oh, they're going big on that guy, and. It's like everybody got all their Christmas shopping done early. And on day two, it's like, okay, we're just going to take third round talents in the third round. Yeah, you're right, Jim. Uh, 60th ranked player being the highest ranked player in the third round. And actually, there was no one ranked higher than that taken um, all the way down to the ninth round. Outside of Brock Porter. Outside yeah, of yeah. Brock Porter. Yeah. It was, I noticed that when we were yesterday when we were going to pick every, I would say pick a minute, but it was really pick every 30 seconds, which. I think both Jonathan and I and our broadcast partner uh, Scott Braun all actually kind of enjoyed it. Was it was a brisk pace? But it, it was. I think it made for a more lively show. And um, but yeah, it, it was like it wasn't like you were sitting there in the fifth round going, "Oh, nice pick!" Like you know that could be one. You know, I will say um, the Indians. Up, oh, oh. did it. I, I wasn't gonna do it. The Guardians. Five thousand dollars fine. The, the Guardians in the eighth and tenth round took a couple high school pitchers, Jackson Humphreys and Jacob Zibin. And I haven't – I've kind of digested who drafted who. I haven't tried to digest how much anybody has to spend. But under the assumption that anybody you take in the top ten rounds, you, you figure you're going to sign because almost all of them do. You know, Humphreys and, and Zibin were guys who were in that kind of third to fifth round range. And it looks like the – the oh, I almost did again. Oh the, Gavari, I myself, the Guardians – Cleveland. Just say Cleveland. The Guardians have found a way to pay them in the eighth and tenth round. So the, but, but we had them ranked 128, 131. It wasn't – like, you know, they were ranked super high. But, yeah, it just a very unusual draft that one. Zibin was uh, – I was actually looking at this, and I thought to ask you to do a little Pipeline podcast pop quiz sponsored by Danny G. But uh, Zibin was the only ranked player that went in the 10th round. Only, okay. only player ranked in the top 250. Okay, uh, let's talk about some guys from this draft that you think will be – Quickest to the big leagues, and I know normally uh, we, we do this story. We do several stories at the conclusion of the draft each year, and this is one of them. And I know typically in this story, it's filled with a bunch of college relief pitchers, um, and we have some here. We but one. is it just one? Just one. Oh wow! So this is uh, this is much different than the usual list. Um, Give us, give us some names here. Uh, well, actually, well, 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 we, uh, 
it's interesting. So I did this story this morning and I listed them alphabetically. And I realized as I walked into Jason's lovely hotel room, which is cleaner than I expected. It's very tiny. What, 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 what does that mean? Wow. I, well, yeah, I didn't think we were going to be like, you, you didn't seem like you wanted to do the podcast in your hotel room. So it's like, because I know my hotel room's a mess and I'm usually pretty clean. So I was like, man, Jason's room must be a mess. He like, doesn't want us to come in. And I'm reporting. Uh, I'll give it a 55 I mean, in cleanliness. I'm a little disappointed 55? that you told everyone you're in your hotel room. You should have been like, we're sitting by the pool no, we're in Los we Angeles. Don't we don't have a pool at our hotel. I'm we like, do. We do? There is Absolutely. a pool. There's a rooftop pool. I like, like, yeah, like I've had time to figure it out. But... Yeah, so anyway. Anyway, uh, more information than anybody needs there. <laughs> As I was walking into Seriously. Jason's very nice hotel room, that's much cleaner than mine is right now. I was realizing when we were going to talk about this, I was like, I don't even know who I think the quickest to the big leagues is. I've listed them alphabetically. I did not rank them. And so I'm, I'm going to go first, and, and then you can you can pick the same guy if you wish. You're gonna. So this is. I, I feel like it's less obvious than usual. Usually, there's a guy you're like, oh man, like again, I think it's because all these college pitchers are hurt. This college pitcher is going to be in the big leagues pretty quick. Yeah. Like, and so anyway, the, the, there aren't you know most of the best college pitchers were hurt this year. I'm going to go with Cooper Jerpy. The mm-hmm. Cardinals took him at 22nd overall. I just think throw he led the, the NCAA Division One strikeouts. Throws a ton of strikes. He had like an eight to one strikeout to walk ratio. He's a lefty with a low arm slot and a ton of deception. I don't really think there's much you're going to have him work on. It's more just prove you can get pro hitters up and we'll move you along quickly. So he stands out to me as the guy because so many of the college pitchers, it's a good draft for college hitters, but almost every college hitter, there's some defensive questions. So they're pri- they, they may change position and that may slow them down a little bit. So I'm going to go with Cooper Jerby. I like that pick. And while I normally dismiss the uh, too frequent calls on the main desk during the draft, like well, this guy could you know could help you out right right away. I'm not saying that the Cardinals would do that or should do that, but could Cooper Jerby get some left-handed hitters out in the big leagues? Maybe just because of the funk and everything. I'm not saying. Yeah. Listen, he had a long season. He threw a lot of innings. I don't think that's what's going to You're happen. You're not going Harold Reynolds on here? I wasn't naming names, oh, for I'm sure. Anybody <laughs> yeah. yeah. who watches the draft knows Harold put guys in the Harold big leagues. likes to put guys in the big leagues right away. And listen, he was right about Mark Bell 10 years later. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, congrats to Mark, by the way, for making it to the big leagues. But, uh, but yeah, with, with, with Jerpy, because of his delivery and the left-handedness, I could see that working if a team wanted to do that. And that, but I think that will help And I'm not necessarily saying this year, but yeah. Right. No, no. Yeah. And and again, it could even be next year where he's starting and he's at a higher level. I'm like, well, we need help. He could come up pretty quick. So I'll take uh, I'll take a college hitter and I'll go Brooks Lee. Uh, even if he does need to change positions, he he you know, he's been a shortstop, he has played other infield positions. It's not like he's gonna have learning to catch, right? He'd move over to third you know uh maybe second base uh, i think it depends on where you you know where you would want him um but i think his hit tool is so good uh he's got such an advanced approach the whole coach on the field thing is very real obviously that he played for his dad at cal poly and he's got that kind of head on his shoulders he talks about hitting uh, as both of us know after interviewing him for this very podcast uh, in, a, in, a, in such an advanced way that I think that he starts next year in double A. Yeah. And then, I, then you see what happens. I can see that. Right. So, uh, you know, and again, I'm, I don't ever think like, oh, guys are going to get to the big leagues in a year. Yeah. We may, we may be talking 2024 by the time these guys get to the big leagues. Although I 
yeah, I think Chirpy is ahead of him. I think that's a good pick, but I, I was going to say Lee is my favorite of the of the hitters that you put in there. And just throwing his number eight overall pick by the Twins, Brooks Thank Lee. And if I remember my own story correctly, the last guy to be in the big leagues the same year he was drafted was Garrett Crochet. I'm going to put an asterisk on that one because of the pandemic year, and he didn't have a huge workload at Tennessee. Mm. I think the last guy before that was Brandon Finnegan, who pitched in the College World Series and the World Series in the same year. We don't need to go through all 10 guys, but I'm going to throw out the guy of the 10 guys I mentioned, the guy who was drafted the lowest of the 10, who's like a sleeper to be the guy, who, who is your college reliever, Jason. And that's Blake Burkhalter, who the Braves took in the supplemental second round. He finished second NCAA Division I with 16 saves at Auburn, helped them get to College World Series. He had a crazy 71-7 to strikeout-to-walk ratio after not throwing that many strikes his first two seasons at mm-hmm. Auburn. And he, it's, it's funny, he, he's not a big guy, but he, he has good control. He's got three pretty solid pitches in his cutter, his fastball, and his changeup, but he's not going to be a starter. And I just think because he can go after hitters with three pitches and he throws a lot of strikes, but, you know, I, th- I want to say I don't have the Braves list in front of me, I think the Braves drafted a couple other potential relievers. I may be imagining that. Who knows? Um, but I could see Blake Burkhalter getting to the big leagues even sometime next year to, to fortify the bullpen. Do you see other relievers on there, or am I imagining that? Well, their first four picks were pitchers, Owen Murphy, J.R. Ritchie, Cole Phillips. High school, high, star, school high school star, all high school stars, and Phillips at Tommy and, John. So, yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. So, uh, Seth Keller's another high school guy. Yeah. Adam, Adam Mayer, I mean, maybe he's in bullpen. He's hurt. No, I was hallucinating. Yeah. Okay. So, so <laughs> for, or, or, or maybe that. you have hundreds of names blurred yeah. in your head like me. The only thing I wanted to um, add very slightly about whenever we you know, put together a list like this is, uh, you know, last year's draft, the, who was the first player to make it to the big leagues? Chase Silseth. Who was not on my list last year. No, he was an 11th rounder, right? And I don't think anyone – would have the funny thing is is that I, I would have guessed that maybe he would have been shortened up and become a reliever and then gotten there sooner rather than later but he actually got up as a starter so you, you just never know when things will click for these guys and and there's a need and you know that the combination of those two things the complete list uh, that Jim put together of 10 players he thinks will be quickest to the big leagues from this year's draft class you can find that uh, as always on mlb.com slash Pipeline, uh, if you want some more focused draft coverage, there's a ton of it on Pipeline, but also MLB.com slash draft uh, houses all of the uh, many, many stories. So Jim and Jonathan, of course, have done a ton of work on the draft. Uh, Sam Dykstra has helped out a lot as well from our team. And then all 30 of the you know club reporters have done a lot of draft coverage as well, and there are Dozens and dozens of stories on MLB.com slash draft. Check them out there. We are going to take a break. We are going to come back and we're going to talk about the futures game. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo coming to you live from now. It's, I guess it's not live. This is a podcast, but coming to you from Los Angeles, California, where we're here for the MLB draft and futures game. Uh, as we record this on whatever day this is, guys, Tuesday, you know, I believe. Tuesday. 19. So we are only three days removed from the futures game, but it seems like it was weeks ago. Let's see if we can remember a little bit of of what happened in this game. So this was the, what what did we say? This is the 23rd Futures game. Is that right? Yes, that is correct. First one in 1999. There was not one during the year of the pandemic. Uh, Always one of our favorite events of the year. Uh, The rosters were packed as always. There were 30, 28, I think. Yeah, it did kind of with all the roster replacements. I know there were four of the top seven, 17 of the top 35, and 28 total top 100 prospects. I think that you're, was the You're final. recording the open in your head. Yeah, so we, we, we talked about it. I did do that in the Yeah, open, I think so it I think started at 31. Started at 31, 31 yeah. some roster replacements. Yep. Um, a lot of top 100 guys. Let's but, leave it at that. Yes. Um, and the game the game was exciting. It was a 6-4 to four game. Uh, my prediction that the National League would remain undefeated in uh, Futures game uh, did not prove to be true. American League wins 6-4. to four. Uh, Of course, they've only been playing the NLAL format for now two years. Um, they played in 2019. Is that Was that the first one? Yeah. Three, oh, oh, okay. Well, I, I don't remember what happened in that game. Sam Huff hit the game-tying home run. And, oh, well. Uh, and, I, and I think it ended in a tie. <laughs> I think it ended in a tie. Sam Huff tied it. We played an extra inning. Um, that was that. Luis Patino was smoking good Yeah. Okay. at the end of the game. He got to pitch because Huff hit the home run. Yeah. And it was pretty cool. But, yeah. so but it, okay. I think they were undefeated, but I think they were 1-0-1. But it's, 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 it's the third year. Let's be precise. You're right. It was, it was a 2-2 tie uh, in 2019. You're right. And okay. So um, this year's game, uh, we a couple, couple cool things with the starting pitchers. You had one uh, from the hometown Dodgers and Bobby Miller and the other uh, Taj Bradley, who got to pitch in front of a bunch of his family. Miller gave up a run, but he struck out. Uh, three on three different secondary pitches. Yeah, exactly. Like he, he hit hundred, but he yeah. struck out a guy in a changeup, a curve on the slider. Yep, yep. And then uh, Bradley uh, put together a clean frame. And then uh, on the offensive side, well, you, we can talk about some more pitchers too. But on on the offensive side, we had home runs uh, by the Martian, uh, Jason Dominguez, who uh, played in last year's game as well. And then uh, defensive. Wizard extraordinaire Shea Langoliers, who like this guy's always always been like the thing you talked about is his defense, and like he's been a hell of a hitter so far. And, and yep. you know, well, the, the thing was, he almost had inside information in the futures game because he's facing Jared Schuster, who he caught in the Brave system before they traded him. He said this, he said it during and the, he hit it the, off the, and so he knew Schuster's best pitch is his changeup, 
and Schuster got a change up up and Langlier's See, Schuster's got to know that he knows. That. I know, I know. I, I know. Like so when when Langlier's was saying this after no, the game, you still want to like, beat him with your best yeah, pitch. I was like that. Hard. I was like that's pretty cool that like he he used this knowledge because oh. he caught Jared Schuster a year ago. And he also made a nice play throwing out um, Corbin Carroll stealing third. Yes, without like it was an awkward position, like because it was stealing third. It's a quick play. He just kind of turned his body slightly and fired it. And you, and you saw why everybody raves about his throwing arm. Yeah, I mean, because it's not just strong, it's accurate. So, yeah. And we've seen video of it before. But yeah, he kind of showed off his his two carrying tools are his arm and his power. Um, but it just – and the other one that we don't grade is that baseball IQ where he's in an exhibition game and he knows the guy he's facing and what he throws. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, he has he's hit some massive home runs uh, this year in the minors. And a guy who hit a massive home run – uh, in this game, all three home runs hit by the winning American League team. Uh, Matt Walner uh, hit one that I believe off the bat was 116 miles an hour. Right. And uh, he also factored into Jim's uh, unofficial Futures game home run derby batting practice title championship. Yes. yes Victory. I, I genuflect in your direction. I So I knew, and I said this, if you listen to our the podcast when we when we did this after you took matt walner i was like I, we did no we didn't do any prep for this yeah. but the one thing i remember when we said we we're going to do this is matt walner is a guy i got to take late because i saw him in a backfield and I was like he's one of these guys that probably puts on a show on bp without even trying and then you you took he's him, having a monster year yeah too. and you took him like dang it so uh the funny thing is is and we don't need to really dig into this too much but Jim had the first pick and took Jordan Walker, and Jordan Walker had three homers. And we, we both thought that was the obvious guy. That's yeah. why I was agitating to pick first because, like, I got to get Jordan Walker. But he's going to go crazy. So in your first group, I remember because I think he had Walker and Alvarez was in the first group, and Alvarez hit ten homers. He went off, I and mean, that was really fun to watch. And I was like, I'm already in deep trouble. But Ellie De La Cruz had a huge BP from from both sides of the plate, which was kind of fun. We may have to look at that because I think the switch hitters get extra swings. That's they do. A, that's they a little do. unfair. Uh, but no. Robert Hassel. No, we'll have to remember that for next year. <laughs> but Robert Hassel decided to work on his opposite field approach for the entirety <laughs> of batting practice. I'm like, can you just pull a ball out? Just one. He didn't hit a single homer. But, the, but here was my secret weapon. Yes. The two guys The two guys that really put you over the top. I think the, the order that it happened, Walner, I think, gave you the win. Okay. Gunnar Henderson put me ahead briefly. Okay. It was like 14 to 13. And, and then, I had no idea any of this was going right. on. So. And then you ended up winning 33 to 14. So Matt Walner hit nine, 10, I remember. And then Jackenzie, Jackenzie, Jackenzie Noel, Jackenzie Noel wow. hit 47 homers. I mean, it was like I, he hit the rest of them. And, uh, and this was not, he wasn't getting cheated. Like he, and you know, Mark Vientos helped me out a little bit. That was a good late pick by me. But I knew when I was only up one and you had two guys left and it was those two, I'm like, I'm in yeah, serious I think trouble. Jenkinsy hit 12. All I'll say is I'm not no, Noel let Noel let all batting practice players with 12 homers. Which organization is he in, Jim? He's in the uh, Guardians organization. We have a new game, you and I need yeah. to try to set him up. I, I was gonna <laughs> say I, I'm not like so now we're even. You won last year. Yes. Uh, Torkelson led you to victory. Correct. I will say I'm not not gonna lure this over Jonathan. I'm not. Twitter. You guys doubted me. 62.5% of people <laughs> voted for Team Mayo, and I thought, I will like your Robert Hassel pick. I didn't think it was a good pick. No, I, it's I didn't not, think he was a power you guy. You knew he was going to be working on his opposite. Well, not that, but he just doesn't have the raw power. Some of these guys. So, like, I, I felt like 
I had a clear advantage. Also, I had Jordan Walker, who proved to not be the big difference maker. I loved all four of my picks, yeah. and I was outraged at Twitter. <laughs> and I and I even tweeted my outrage. And, and there was oh, – and I'm sorry I don't remember the Twitter person's name. I'm not looking at it. Respond to me, Kenzie Noel is going to win that for you all by himself, which he almost did. Well, that's the he, funny thing is because I started – because when I took Hassel, I really was looking at Hassel and Zach Veen, the, the two high school yeah. after the back-to-back. I was like – one of those guys is going to rise to the occasion. Veen hit like six out. He actually had yeah. a really good BP, but both have been kind of similar in the minor leagues. I just thought maybe he'd rise to the, yeah. he likes being in the spotlight. You're, that was not a good pick in the end. But, and, and then, you know, like I said, I knew Walner, Walner was going to get me in trouble. And I don't know why people thought that, that I was going to, to win hands down, but I even did the math that even if I had had Matt Walner and you had had, Jason Ratliff. Oscar Colas would have been my next pick. No, but let, yeah. I, I'm just saying. If I had Jason. Had Jason and Oscar Colas hit nine. Yeah. He also had a huge BP. But let's say you had a zero. Like, no, yeah. you still would have won. Okay. Really? Yes. It was a, it was a swing. Walner hit eight. Okay. So that would have been okay. a swing of 16 yeah. and you beat me by 19. You yeah. Now, I know, as Jason will point out, that math is not my strongest suit at all times. But in this case, I, yeah, I actually right. figured it out. So sure. congratulations to you. You won. I'm more happy slide. that I proved Twitter wrong because I could not believe that you got 62.5%. That's, of it's votes. amazing because Twitter is never wrong about anything. In True. your face, Twitter. Yeah, so, so take that. And <laughs> if I, you're listening. I'm sorry. I'm too tired to scroll through my phone right now. I don't have my computer with me to find the person <laughs> right. who who gave me who told me Jackenzie Noel would win it all by, my, by himself. I will just say in, in general that the, the Futures game, was it was a terrific game. It was crisp. We saw a little bit of everything, good pitching, good hitting. Just wish it had been two innings longer. No, I agree 100%. I wish we had a nine-inning game. I wish we had a home run derby for the future. An official game. one. official one. And they put those guys in the home run derby Monday night. Yes. Because that would be fun. I still think Joey Gallo, when he's in Minnesota, might have won the Major League Home Run Derby because he was crazy good. Yeah. MVP. And just give a couple other pitchers love. Yuri Perez, who I was really looking forward to seeing. i never seen in person. I think it was 10 p. I only got to see 10 pitches, but he, I think he touched 99, got the reasoning pretty quick. And then Emerson Hancock, who I feel like his prospect stock had been sliding. I think we even discussed him during the market corrections about how he'd come off the list. Yeah. It was just one inning, but he struck out the side, all three guys, I think on 96, 97 mile hour fastballs that had a ton of arm side run. And it was like, oh, okay. He looks, he looks pretty good there. Yeah. And uh, Jack Leiter, who's been scuffling a bit in double A through a, uh, it was a perfect inning, right? Or at least it was no hit inning. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but he looked pretty sharp, and it was fun seeing him on that and that kind of stage. And uh, Jim, I've got your, I've got your kudos for you that okay, you want to give out. Go ahead and give, give the gentleman. Fino MVP said, uh, Kenzie Noel going to single handedly win it for you, Jimmy. Yep, and I responded, see, Fino MVP gets it. There you, so. go. <laughs> there you go. But the rest of Twitter. You are Fair. all right. Uh, let's answer this question from the mailbag. I know I don't let's think do we've it. even said that we were going to do this, but uh, we do it every we week. And this is how we're going to end the podcast. Uh, oh, look, another Jimmy. Jimmy ZCB1 asks, How much did this draft replenish the Mets farm system depth? And we're going to use this. Thanks for the question, Jimmy. We are going to answer it. Uh, but we're also going to use it to talk a little bit more about uh, some, maybe another club or two that had a good 
draft haul. But uh, let's answer this question first. How much did it replenish the Mets farm system? It, it replenished it a lot. I mean, to give you a little behind the scenes look at what goes on in day three of the draft. Excuse me. I usually write a story after the draft ends, picking which teams I believe had the best draft. And we know, yes, you can't judge the draft fully for five or ten years. These guys aren't going to be in big leagues for a few years, but we do it every year. You guys want it. We give it to you. And so while we're doing day three broadcasts, which essentially is five minutes at the top, get ready for day three, then we sit for five rounds, we came in, we filled five minutes during a break, and that's it. So we have a lot of time on hands. We're just listening to picks. I sit here and try to finally digest. Like, if you'd asked me yesterday, like, hey, who, what team had the best draft? I would have told you. I don't even know who drafted who. I just know which players went. I don't have a great feel. Like, I didn't retain destinations. But um, all that said, after working on this all day, I think the Mets had the best draft of anybody. Um, now, the caveat, every year when I do this story, the teams that have the best drafts on paper are the teams that have extra picks because you're getting more cracks at it. Um, and the Mets had, because they didn't sign Kumar Rocker last year, they had the 11th overall pick as compensation, and then they had the 14th overall pick on their own merits. So they were the only team with two first-round picks, and not just that, two in the upper half of the first round. But Kevin Prada pick at 11. I don't think we necessarily thought he was getting that no. far. I'm surprised. I thought he had a chance to go three or five, and I would have thought he would have at worst gone six to ten. But so they got a, a catcher who's a very accomplished hitter who hit 26 home runs this year. Catching, receiving, and throwing needs some work, but he should be able to stay behind the plate, and he's he's just a very advanced hitter with a lot of power. At pick 14, they got Jet Williams, who I, I don't think I talked to any scout about Jet Williams this year who didn't say, I love that kid. He can run, he can hit, he plays with swagger. Maybe he's a shortstop, maybe he's second baseman, maybe he's a center fielder, but everybody loved him. And I think I actually got that pick right in the mock. Like, a very one of the you very did. few. I can confirm. Um, so then you go on, I want to say second round, they got Blade Tidwell from Tennessee. And, and a great value there, potentially, because Blade Tidwell would have been a mid-first-round pick, except he missed the first six weeks of the season with shoulder trouble. And when he came back, he was up and down. He'd flash his really good stuff, and then he'd, he'd fall off a little bit. But that's a potential talent steal. And then just a couple other guys that I liked in their draft. Nick Morabito coming out of the, the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. Really good high school hitter. Brandon Sproud of Florida. Jonathan, we were hearing, like, sandwich round, like, a little bit of buzz on Brandon Sproud, who's got big arm talent, inconsistent results of Florida, but a lot to work with there. Jacob Reimer's an interesting uh uh, high school hitter that, that the Mets got. So, uh, you know, I, I really liked what they did. I thought they had the best draft of anyone after spending three hours during day three looking at this. Who'd you like, Jonathan? Yeah, I uh, I mean, there are a bunch of teams, and it, I'm very glad that you do that story. Um, but I will say that looking over some of them, the, the Reds really intrigued me. Uh, and Again, sort of like with the Mets getting Parada, I think they got a guy with their first pick at 18 that they didn't think was going to be there in Cam Collier. And this is a guy that we had heard as high as four. Um, now, that would have been the money-saving deal. and uh, But still, because he was so young, this is Luke Collier's son, he reclassified as one of the youngest players in the entire class, um, played really well at Chipola, advanced hit tool, you know, should be fine at third base. Um Went and competed very well in the Cape Cod League at age 17. Uh, so that's the, they started off that way. And, you know, right at the gate, I was like, well, the, I like that pick for them. I, you know, they do a nice job of developing hitters. And this is a guy who already has a good idea how to hit. And then they got another really good high school hitter in Sal Stewart, who's you know, maybe more power than hit. 
Uh, we saw him last year in Denver in the uh, high school home run derby in the All-American game, a pure bat. He'll be a third baseman for now, but you're really buying the, the power. Uh, but even some of the college players that they they got, you know, Logan Tanner, who's a really good defender. Um, I can't help but think of a scout we both know, Greg Zanino, their cross checker. It's Mike's dad, who really knows catching. So I, I, I like I like that. Uh, and, and and Greg is a, a cross checker in, in and, the area. And he's got that. He has Mississippi. Yeah, in, in that area. You know, Justin Boyd in the competitive round is a guy who really performed at Oregon State. Bryce Hubbard, really good left hander. Uh, you know. Could be one of those guys who moves a little bit quicker to the big leagues, depending on what they do them. And then they even got some upside. Kenya Huggins, another Chipola guy. Um, you know, it was a guy who was a little bit raw, but on the mound, but super athletic, six foot three. Like you go throughout their first two days, and you know, even some of their senior money saving guys are, are interesting. And then in round eleven, they got Ben Broody from from Rhode Island. We talked about him. I talked about him on day three. There were area scouts. Uh, in New England, who like didn't understand why more people weren't talking about him because he's got some serious arm strength and some serious upside, uh, but just hadn't been seen. He didn't really do much on the summer showcase circuit. So, really throughout, uh, the Reds found a lot of talent from the, the sort of high end young guys, some projects, and some college performers who have a chance to be pretty good. And I know Jason thinks we both. Uh are wrong. Who do you think had the best draft? Yeah, I was so, just about to ask you, uh, who was the only team that had uh, that drafted three of the players that you guys ranked in the top 30? I know the answer. Just jump. And one of, one of, one of two teams uh, to get 10 picks. From 10 the top, top 250 guys. Yeah. And the other one was the Reds. It was the uh, Colorado Rockies. It was the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. I'm just saying, you guys put the, you guys put the list together. It's quantity and quality. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, not you, Jimmy Callis, but uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Z, CB1. Thanks very much for that question. And I, ha- I do have to say, I know I've said this to you guys privately, but I want to say it publicly too. You guys do an incredible job. Oh, you're beating me too. Damn it. Go you were going to compliment you yourself? I no. I, thought he- <laughs> I just do a great job on everybody else, how hard I've worked. But, uh, no, but really, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I know that every, you know, everyone listening, you know, well, I shouldn't say everyone listening, but a lot of people listening would say the same and think the same, but I just wanted to say it here. You guys do an incredible job. And I, I don't think people have any idea, uh, especially on day one of the draft, when you guys are uh, on the air uh, analyzing picks on the roof of crypto.com arena in the baking sun, the surface of the sun. <laughs> we, you have a, a pro- producer in your ear constantly chattering at you. You guys are texting, uh, constantly texting scouts and agents and, and then, you're also dictating analysis of uh, of the picks to go into a story that's going live on the site. All kinds of stuff going on, and it's, it's actually very fun to watch, and uh, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Me first. Okay. So I want to say that we may be public-facing, and thank you, Jason. Like, you know, we, we, we care very much about this, and, and we love doing this, and, and we work hard. There's no question but you are not public facing. I mean, outside of this podcast, you know, people don't even like know your name most of the time. Uh, or someone called you recently Twitterless, Jason Ratliff, because you're often behind that MLB pipeline. But people don't have any idea. You want to talk about like pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I mean, like the amount that this man does 
on a daily basis. Forget about now that the insanity of the futures game and and the uh, and the draft, but just generally on a day to day basis uh, to make MLB pipeline what it is to make us look way much better than than we actually are. Um, we wouldn't be able to do it without you. So uh, right back at you. Slick. I was going to say the same thing. Let's give a quick shout out. I mean. Willie Kornblatt, Kelsey Hennigan, Paige Schechter, Josh Jackson. Who am I leaving out? I mean, there's a lot Jesse of Jesse Borick. Yep. Mike Avalone, Rob uh, Rob Terranova. Yeah, it, it's they don't get a lot of bylines, but they're. I mean, all the tweets and social media things that were prepared. Jacob Resnick. Yeah. Yeah. The entire MLB Pipeline crew, uh, an absolutely fantastic job. Yeah, those those tweets coming out uh, from the MLB draft account uh, as they happen takes a, a ton of work to, to be prepared for all that. So, yeah, absolutely. Thanks to the entire crew. And thank you, everybody, for listening. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks, everybody. See you next week.